Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in that great big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building just across the street from Winkies. We also can service clients in Bonita Springs, Flores. If you'd like to know um, more about us, you can go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is Ann Hanna, and Ann has been on the show several times. She is the founder and manager director for the Toro Group, which is located right downtown in Milwaukee. And we have been talking, well, we talked about COVID. We talked about what happened in COVID. And now we're out of COVID. At least it seems like we are. And I'm just curious, Anne, your dealings with mergers and acquisitions and, and private companies, what have you really seen that's happened in 2021? And I do want to get to the fact of what do we see going on in 2022? And I know you and I personally have talked a lot about the Paycheck Protection Program, which was backed by the SBA. And it's really loans that help businesses keep their workforce employed during that COVID-19 crisis. So what has really happened with all that? How has that unfolded? Yeah, well, thank you, Karen. And and thanks for having me back. Um, So I'll answer your first question as far as what is going on right now. So the market is um, back. I think uh, COVID hit in 2020 and uh, many M&A transactions were put on hold or canceled. A few went forward for those industries that weren't affected by COVID, but very few. But then starting in Q4 of 2020, everything really came back and we had um, very robust market, very robust seller's market. 2021 was the most um, busy, the most active. We saw many unique things in 2021. It was a crazy M&A market to the point that we saw private equity actually pull out of the market in August because they were at capacity with deals and they just couldn't look at anymore. I've never seen that happen before. So crazy, crazy market. Do you think that was because people just got to the point where they said, I don't wanna go through a market like this again? Or why do you think that happened? I think that's one of the reasons why that happened. Um, I think prior to COVID hitting, it was a seller's market and there was a lot of money in the economy. There was a lot of private equity equity money, and there was a lot of money on corporate balance sheets. We went into COVID. um, The whole PPP uh, program was put into place. And coming out, and we'll talk more about that, but coming out of COVID, uh, Deloitte did a study, and they said something like 60 to 70% of companies coming out of COVID their growth plans were not only to grow organically, but to grow through acquisition. So as a firm, we're a boutique M&A firm here in Milwaukee. We traditionally run maybe two buy-side um, engagements at a time because sell, um, selling businesses is the majority 
continues to be 90% of our business. Um, currently, as a firm, we're running, I believe, nine buy-side processes. So everyone came out of COVID, Q4 2020, ready to uh, acquire businesses. Private equity never left the market. So now you've got a lot of strategic buyers, a lot of private equity buyers, and even more money in the market than there was uh, prior to COVID. That sounds exciting, though. It sounds it's, as if, as if it's since it's so new, and you've never seen anything like that. I mean, it sounds like it's a very exciting place to be. It's exciting. It's active. It's exhausting. It's um, it's fun. It's interesting. So it's um, it, it's really going to be interesting to see where this market's going to go. Because, you know, our predictions are business is cyclical, right? So things, it's like the stock market that you deal with every day, Karen, goes up and down, right? So we're in a frenzy right now. Um, the economy's good for the most part. Um, and there's still a lot of money. We believe the economy in the activity level is still going to be high in 2022. Um, but beyond that, it's it's hard to say. You know, you've got to, you've got to think that demand's got to cut back. It's got to um, normalize. Supply chain, uh, supply chain is going to normalize. As interest rates go up, then what's going to happen to into 2023, 2024? That's what's going to be very interesting. Is there any particular industry that is being affected more than any other? Or is it kind of across the board? Um, across the board, you know, here in Wisconsin, we have an awful lot of manufacturing. We have a lot of print and packaging, manufacturing of all different types. Um, those are all very, very, very strong industries right now. You know, I think the, I think the service industry is still suffering. I, I mean, we've got this Omicron now where a lot of our restaurants are starting to close down or pare back or only do takeout service again uh, on top of the labor shortage that the service business you know, is facing. So that's an industry that's still struggling and has through this entire thing. You know, and when you talk about the idea of organically growing and buying other businesses to grow their businesses, um, you almost have to wonder what's going to happen to the smaller businesses and what is that going to look like to have these, you know, to have these businesses um, get so large. And we hear all the time about businesses going out of business and of course the labor shortage that you, I wonder what that's gonna look like. Right, well, you know, if you think about, it, if you look at demographics, right? And so you've got the baby boomers who are really the tail end of the baby boomers, I believe will turn 60 this year. And so you've got the baby boomers, huge generation moving into retirement, right? And, um, Okay, Karen, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Can we cut this <laughs> out? That's okay. <laughs> That's what I was doing. You had the baby boomers moving into um, retirement. What was the question? The question was, what is this all going to look like with um, people selling businesses and the smaller businesses oh, going out of you. business? Okay, okay, so just pick up. Taylor will just put it in. Okay, thank you, Taylor. Um, right, so what we have going on right now is we've got the baby boomers are the bottom end of the baby boom generation are turning 60 right now. So baby boomers have always traditionally been the largest class of business owners. So you look at, we've got a huge class of business owners 
that need to transition. And will they transition over the next five years, 10 years? One thing we've seen in the, in the baby boomers that they, is that they don't necessarily retire at age 65. Some of them are going strong at 75 and 80, but at some point they have to transition. So they either have to uh, pass on to their heirs, their children and um, next generation. Uh, they have to close their doors or they have to have a business sale. And that's where we're getting into this robust M&A market is we're having, um, we're having many, many business sales and we've got a real um, growth of private equity and family office money. So we're finding a lot of these boomers who leave the market, they have a successful exit and then they decide after a year or two of golf, they decide that this isn't very much fun, right? And they come back and they do what they've loved and what they've done their whole life, what they're very, very good at. And they start investing in businesses. Um, these are really terrific buyers because they're coming in, they've got their own money, they set their own parameters, and they generally buy in industries that they know. So, and, and they'll have a staff and they'll look very much like a private equity firm, but oftentimes it's, it's boomers who are reinvesting. Um, you know, additionally, private equity is growing and um, more and more firms every day, and they are buying up a lot of businesses. So it sometimes feels like private equity is going to own all of our private businesses at the rate that they're at their purchasing. Um, but, you know, when you think that the lion's share of businesses are really very small and underneath the levels that private equity buys. So they're less than a million EBITDA. They might be, they might start off as lifestyle businesses and eventually grow up and uh, sometimes grow up and become larger businesses. So despite the fact that a lot of the larger businesses are being purchased, it's kind of this continual forest of new companies being started and growing up to you know, one day be acquired. When you look at the idea of what's happened with COVID in 2020 and 2021, how has that actually impacted these companies and making them so saleable? Why are they saleable when everybody is talking about business being so bad? You know, when you're looking at a business and someone's coming to you, um, what has the effect of COVID had on these businesses? Well, COVID and has- probably all different. Right. And it's different depending on the industry. And COVID did. In 2020, most businesses suffered. There were a few that maybe relied on government contracts or they had steady contracts that weren't affected and um, orders could not be canceled. They were not affected, but a, a good portion of businesses, whether you were manufacturing or certainly restaurants and hotels were affected the most, um, but packaging, printing, everyone was affected. So what we saw, and of course I'm giving you very broad generalizations, is we saw businesses were soft. They had soft 2020s. And that's where the uh, Paycheck Protection Program came in. If you recall in March of 2020, we were all looking around thinking that the, the world was ending. I know for for my purposes, I was I was meeting with my partner to say, okay, how much money are you going to bring in to, to keep the firm afloat, right? Yeah. Because without any clients, without any business, and we really didn't know how long this was going to last or what the effect would be. So um, most businesses saw softness in 2020, but they also saw this influx of PPP money, 
which were loans from the government, which uh, later, if you met the criteria, were forgiven. And that has had a huge impact. You know, Anne, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about the types. I mean, I don't think people realize what that PPA, what the PP looked like and how much money that actually was and what flowed into these businesses. And so with that, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is Anne Hanna, and she is the founder and the managing director for the Toro Group, which is located right downtown in Milwaukee. Her phone number I'm going to put out there is 414-465-5537. Today, we're going to be talking about businesses, what's happened in 2020, 21, what's, what they anticipate is going to happen in 2022. And if you happen to be a privately owned small business and you're, you're one of those people who are saying, you know, I think it's time for me to think about what I want to do. We're going to talk about the steps that you need to take, but you know, it's never too early if you have a business. And certainly I have a small business and to really start planning as to what that exit strategy might look at. And, and before we took our break, you've mentioned several times the PPP program and um, the loan and the money that came into the, into the country and to these businesses. And I don't think that people really have an idea of exactly how much money that was. And for some of those businesses that were struggling, those dollars came in and really put them in a good position again to even maybe consider this is a good time to sell. So can you give us some insight into the vastness of that money? Yes, yes. So the PPP loans, um, forgivable loans, are part of the CARES Act, and that was initiated in um, spring of 2020 when all the COVID shutdowns happened. So the initial PPP um, loan, the first one that came out at the end of March, beginning of April. Now, this initial loan was, or bucket of money was $350 billion, and it was gone in two weeks. So the, the program opened, and within two weeks, all the money was gone. So they opened another program, um, the PPP2, uh, which uh, was opened closed in August of 2020, that was another 310 billion. And then there was a third one that closed uh, just in May of 2021 for another um, you know, 200 and some odd billion. So in total, this program was $953 billion. And because it was rolled out in a variety of stages, I don't think most people really understand how large this this um, this program was. If you, if you think about our 2021 social security spending is 1.13 billion. So the PPP loan program was just under that at 953. Um, our military budget in 2020 was 766 billion. So larger than our annual military budget, our Medicare budget was uh, 829 billion billion. So larger than a year's worth of Medicaid. So this was a huge, huge program, a huge transfer of wealth from our government into businesses and employees and, and that type of 
thing to prop up the economy um, and prop up what was going on. That is so, absolutely amazing when you think about it. When you add it up and you total it, um, it's it's just amazing amount of money that came. It's mind numbing. It is. And so how did that, how did you see those types of dollars affecting individual businesses? And unfortunately, I know that you've said in the past that all businesses didn't get it. If they didn't know how to file for it, if they didn't know how to get in there within two weeks, it's gone. There are many businesses that didn't have that same luxury of having those dollars. Right, right. So what we saw in, and this is such a new uh, program and, and there really hasn't been time to study the effects of it. And as everything in economics, supply, demand, there's so many factors that overlap that it's hard to say that this one tax increase or this one government program had XYZ effect on uh, spending or on price increases. Um, because everything's so complicated. So they're just starting to do studies now on this. And, you know, in 10 years, we're going to look back with 2020 hindsight, and we're going to have uh, much more insight into this. So I can tell you what I saw, but understand that it is entirely anecdotal. And um, so maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, maybe my subset of, of, um, of businesses I'm looking at is too small. But um, what, we're, what we saw is that when the PPP first rolled out, the people who got the PPP loans were the, the players with the most resources and the know-how and the relationships to apply and to know how to apply. So, you know, at first when it came out, you read things like, oh, the Lakers got a PPP loan and all these big companies got PPP loans and everyone else upset. Those are the people with resources. If I looked around at different businesses, it was the more savvy businesses, the, the businesses who had CFO in place, in place and accounting teams. And those were the people who got- um, They could move quickly. The they could move quickly. They were yeah. on it. They moved quickly. They had the resources and they had the banking relationships. So- University of Chicago just did a study that they are continuing to, um, uh, to upgrade. And so it started in 2020, but they go back and revisit it and add information to it. And they found three things. So number one, they said the banks played an important role. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw that, absolutely. Yes. Um, and, and I found business owners who I know who didn't have good, strong private banking relationships they were not able to get in on these, these first rounds because the banks were busy with their best clients. Um, uh, University of Chicago also found that short and medium term um, employment effects of the program were small compared to the program size. So that's a, a subjective claim. I'm sure a lot will come out about that. We're starting to read that now, you know, yes, it absolutely saved jobs, but at what cost, you know, that sort of thing. And the third thing, and, and we definitely saw this, is that firms uh, use the loans to make non-payroll fixed payments and to build up savings buffers. Um, so we absolutely saw this. So we saw businesses who, um, had difficult years, 
um, and they received PPP money. And then in Q4 of 2020, you know, Katie bar the door, everything took off. Demand went crazy. And so, you know, businesses who received a you know, $2 million PPP loan, and remember, this is tax-free money. So $2 million tax-free is like three and a half million, right? right. So, uh, you know, these businesses uh, received this money. They had some fears, but not horrible. And now they're in an environment where they, they can't meet the demand. They've got so much customer demand that they can't meet it. Um, so here's what we th saw business owners do. They did one of, th of, of three things coming out of COVID and having these PPP funds. Um, they reinvested it. In other words, they came out and I talked about earlier, they wanted to grow through acquisition. And the mantra coming out of COVID 2020 is, we're gonna grow through acquisition. That's the first thing they did. Second thing they did is they started to reinvest in equipment and especially automation. So, you know, part of the demand issue is that we are seeing supply chain issues, we're seeing labor issues. So this labor shortage has sped up the automation, the flow of automation into manufacturing. Just like COVID, sped up our process of working from home and having the tools and the attitudes that we can work from home part-time. Um, you know, COVID did moved us forward on that and this labor shortage is, is moving us forward on automation. So that's the second thing they did. The third thing that this became, and you talked about this, Karen, is it became a bridge for transition. So we've got private business owners who said, gosh, with this PPP money and the sale of my business, I've got enough money to retire now. This, I'm hitting my number. So people like you, Karen, are saying, this is your number to retire in the lifestyle that you wanna retire in. And your firm is terrific at making sure people really understand what they need to retire. And so they've gotten these numbers from you and people like you and your advisors. And now they're saying, okay, I sell my business for X, plus my PPP of why I'm hitting my number. So I can sell and retire or they're doing, and business owners have the same thing that employees do. They had this, you know, life is too short syndrome, right? You know what, I had a good friend, I had a mother, I had a cousin, I had an aunt who died of COVID. Life is too short, I'm not gonna sit behind a desk 80 hours a week. I don't care if I'm the owner, I'm not gonna do it. So, you know, they talk about all the people who, stayed home and reevaluated their life and, and want to work less. Well, business owners are people too, and they, they've made some of those decisions. And that's part of this third, this bridge transition. This is part of what's led to the M&A market that we're seeing today. Boy, that sounds interesting. And I know even for myself, as I look at my life and, and what, I, what I do and how much I want to work, I still love so many of the things that I have to do, but yet I don't want to work quite as hard and, and quite as much as I did as I did before. And I think things like this really do make you reevaluate what's important to you. Right, right. And that's exactly what's happening. So now we've got a little bit of a perfect storm. We've got all this money out there. We've got uh, business owners who are younger or, or corporate, large corporate, they're saying, I want to grow through acquisition. I want to spend this money. 
And we've got business owners that said, you know what, maybe it is the time to sell. You know, because remember, when you sell a business, generally most businesses are sold, you know, net cash, net debt. So you keep the cash in the business, pay off all your long-term debt, but you keep that pile of cash. Most people let those COVID uh, funds just sit in the business. Um, so, you know, they're, they're adding that to their proceeds. To their proceeds. My guest today is Ann Hanna, and she is the founder and managing director for the Toro Group, which is located right downtown in Milwaukee. Their phone number is 414-465-5537. We're going to take a break. And, and when we come back, let's talk about the things that business owners can be thinking about in terms of their business and what they may want to be doing. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Ann Hanna. She works right here in Milwaukee with doing mergers and acquisitions and working with business owners to help them to determine when the time is right and if they're realistic about the sale that they want to do and to help find that perfect buyer for their business. And, and we've been talking a lot about um, the Paycheck Protection Prep program. We've been talking about what's been happening with businesses. And I guess before we go into what people need to be doing, I'm curious, has has this been um, across the board sort of an even type of thing? I know you talked about the people who really were able, the businesses that were able to get the money were the ones that were the most savvy. I mean, the ones that had internal structure and they had relationships, but what about the smaller businesses? What, how is this affecting the community at large? And of course, we've got all different types of businesses and you always hear it's the small businesses that are the roots of the city. What happened with those small businesses? Yeah, well, and, and that's been interesting, um, you know, as far as what's happened in Milwaukee. And again, anecdotally, you got to remember these programs are based on a percentage of payroll. So you had to have employees to get significant money. So when I say someone got $2 million, you know, that's someone who's got, you know, 50 to 100 employees. So or more or more significant yeah. number of employees. So um what you see for these smaller employers who didn't have payrolls, there was other um, provisions in the fund, but not to that extent. And um, what we saw in Milwaukee is that our disadvantaged neighborhoods really took a very, very hard hit as a result of COVID because many of the jobs in our, in our disadvantaged neighborhoods are service jobs. So first of all, they lost their jobs. And then our entrepreneurs who are in those neighborhoods, they don't necessarily have 100 plus employees where they got these huge PPP loans, right? Um, also, we talked earlier about uh, the fact that it was those companies that have the CFO, that have the accounting staff, that have the financial savvy and the banking relationships. Those were the first players at the table to get these loans. And Bloomberg is, is just coming up with a study and they are, they're tracking the economic recovery in minority communities. So they're going all over the country, tracking uh, the effect of these PPP loans and the economic recovery. And what they're finding in Chicago, which, you know, close to home, is that um, 
the PPP has really not translated into a meaningful economic recovery in, in a lot of Chicago's poorest neighborhoods. And um, like, for instance, their statistics are that um, the black neighborhoods in Metro Chicago received 72% of their PPP funds. This, you know, at the end, last year, I guess, now that we're in 2022, um, in the very final round, where it, uh, whereas the more affluent white parts of the cities got 66% of the loans um, earlier in the earlier rounds. So we're just seeing the economic recovery roll out much more slowly. Um, and of course, we saw this anecdotally in Milwaukee. It's just now that um, businesses like Bloomberg have had the time or devoting the resources to really study this and tell us um, what's happened. So, you know, their study is telling, and it's not just Chicago, it's LA and Houston and Dallas and New York, um, that, you know, GDP, GDP growth right now is, is roaring. It's, it's significant. Um, but many in our minority neighborhoods have been left behind and they're just not seeing that kind of GDP growth that some of the other neighborhoods are. So you know, it's been fascinating. It's, it's, been a, it's been a boom, it's been interesting, but it's not been necessarily fair across all segments. Well, I think, I don't know if this is, uh, can jump in here for just a, a minute, is to talk about BizStarts a little bit. And you were uh, president of that board and you have, it has significantly adjusted its thinking to include some of those neighborhoods. Let's just take a minute to talk about that because I think that's a really important piece. There are people within Milwaukee and all over the country that really do want to integrate some of the opportunity into these less privileged and, and more difficult areas. And I think within Milwaukee, BizStarts is really trying to do that. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Sure. And what that, and that is? Right. And that's where I really, I pull, thank you, Karen, that's where I pull my anecdotal information about what's going on in the inner city in Milwaukee. Uh, BizStarts is a nonprofit that serves the entrepreneurs within the most disadvantaged neighborhoods. So the idea is, is that we help those entrepreneurs not just get good jobs, but to build businesses where they can create wealth and generational wealth. So not just a matter of feeding their family, but actually creating a base for their family and future generations. Uh, so business, we, we teach a course that was developed um, by Professor Morris out of Notre Dame. It's a course that has been taught in about 13 cities across the country. And what it does is it brings business skills to people who are bright and ambitious and have talent, but don't necessarily have a college degree and don't necessarily have parents who ran businesses. So they didn't, they, they grew up in a different climate. So um, they've developed, Professor Morris has developed this program that gives uh, these entrepreneurs all the basic skills. They come out of this boot camp um, with websites, with um, pricing models, with break-even points. I teach the financial end of the boot camp, and it's it's a, a lot of fun and it's it's really very gratifying. Um, in fact, we had, I'm, I'm going to brag for just a little bit. So we had one of our entrepreneurs in our first class a couple of years ago. This is a young gentleman, just a delightful, brilliant young gentleman. He's uh, four years out of prison now. He was faced with some very unfortunate situations. He had to feed a family. 
He was uh, uh, in the military and was discharged due to back problems. And um, he's created a business. Uh, he went through our first boot camp. And this year in 2021, he was named one of the top entrepreneurs in Milwaukee, top 20 entrepreneurs uh, to follow by the Business Journal. So that's, that was really exciting to see that kind of success. And Anne, I know that you told me that you gave one of your classes and one of the women walked up to you and said, I actually am getting it because you're talking and explaining it in a way that it makes sense to me logically, which I think is so important because we tend to be in this world that has all kinds of abbreviations and people don't always understand it, but you're doing it in a way that you want people to understand it and they can understand it. That's exciting. It, it's very exciting. And, you know, my background, I'm a CPA and I've had to completely uh, relearn cost accounting and break even so that I'm explaining it in a way that is practical and makes sense and very applicable to all businesses. And so, so if there are learning experience. <laughs> and if there are individuals out there that would like to know more about that, how do they um, go get into the BizStart? Um, how do they find that? Right, so they can Google BizStarts. It's, it's bizstarts.org. Uh, and uh, the website gives all, uh, all kinds of information if you'd like to donate money or if you'd like to give time and be a mentor. Um, as companies go through these boot camps, they're then assigned mentors. That's not the end of it. They're assigned mentors and we follow and we work with them for years until they get their business up and going. Um, so we can use a variety of help um, on our events as well. Well, I think as we're talking about what you do for a living is sell companies and as these owners and company owners cash out and now have time on their hands, being a mentor to some of these um, younger people or some of these people that are really have such drive to, to get there and they just need a good foundation and support would be a great opportunity for many of them to participate with BizStarts. It would. And even if you if you don't have a business background, if you went on and, and were loading all the entrepreneurs onto the website and just um, um, patronized these businesses and used them and brought them in, yes. there's some fantastic businesses. And uh, we're going to start a program next year. We're actually going to give away gift baskets. I gave away gift baskets this year for Christmas to uh, the Association for Corporate Growth Board, and it was all BizStarts entrepreneurs. So they had a gift certificate for a car wash. They had treats. They had a Diversitin, which was discount uh, coupons to different ethnic restaurants around Milwaukee. Um, we had lotions. We had candles really a lot of uh, terrific products that are produced by our business entrepreneurs. That is so exciting. We are going to take our last break. And when we come back, let's talk about what business owners need to do and need to think about should they want to sell their business. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Ann Hanna, and she is the founder and managing director for the Toro Group, which is located right downtown Milwaukee. And her phone number is 414-465-5537. If you'd like to reach out to her with a question that um, you may have taken away from today's talk. And, and 
you're working with business owners all the time. And so many of them, I mean, I think of my own business, of course, and it's like one of my children, you know, <laughs> love that child. And how does a business owner start to think about selling their business and what are the steps that they need to take? And what are you actually looking at when you meet with a client? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I, I think the first step really starts with you, Karen. It starts with understanding their financial situation, understanding what retirement looks like, what they need to provide for their family. And if they have different um, trusts and, and um, philanthropy type, and I know you, you handle all that at um, EIG is you help people put together a whole plan to bring them through their retirement years and accomplish their financial goals, right? So I think that's the first thing is to really understand um, understand that. And then um, as you look at your business and look at succession planning, you have to ask yourself, who is the next, um, who is the next group of leaders here once I'm gone, once I retire, even if that's not gonna be for 20 years? And it might be a situation where you're going to gift or sell the business to the next generation and you're going to continue to pass the business um, through your family. It might be a situation where your family doesn't want the business or you don't have a next generation. And um, so in that case, uh, you might want to look at a business sale. Um, and if you're looking at a business sale, and I would say if you think you might want to sell your business in the next five years, here as we sit in January of 2022, you should sit up and pay attention and make some decisions because this is probably, this has been the last few years, the best seller market, except for that brief 2020 COVID, um, the best seller's market that we've seen in decades. Um, last year might have been the best selling uh, seller market we've ever seen. 2022 looks like it's going to be similar. Um, but as we all know, that's got to end. And I would love to sit here and tell you that this is going to go on for another five or 10 years. I would love for that to be true for myself personally. <laughs> but um, we know that that's probably not true. So I think we've been very lucky that it's been good through 2021. I think we're very lucky that it's going to be good through 2022. But now we're starting to hear, um, you know, certainly we're seeing inflation and we're seeing um, wages increase. We're seeing, you know, with supply chain, um, we're seeing price increases, significant price increases in some uh, situations. But all this is going to have a dampening effect on the market. So as interest rates rise and as maybe demand cools, then we're going to see we're going to see the table start to turn back a little bit. and We're going to see demand come down. And, you know, will we get to a point where it turns into a buyer's market? Not unless we see a recession, which hopefully we won't. Um, but will it be as good as it is, is today? Probably not. Um, so if you're thinking you're going to sell in the next couple of years, this might be your best year to sell. You know, on top of that, we don't know what's going to happen with tax legislation. I mean, we, we dodged a bullet in 2021, 
but we don't know as far as capital gains tax anyway, we don't know what's gonna happen in 2022. And there's always the risk that things could be passed proactively, uh, tax mm -hmm. changes. So, um, so I think the time to think about this is now. And if you think you might wanna sell your business and you might wanna know if your business is saleable, not all businesses are, um, then I would encourage you to reach out to an advisor, either myself or someone like myself, and just talk to them about what the opportunity is. I can tell you that the sale of a business, if you go through a full marketing process, it takes anywhere from you know seven to nine months. And if there's any hiccups, it can take a year. So it's not something you're gonna get done in the next 60 days, most likely. And, and just a little bit on how you actually work. So a business owner comes to you and they say, you know, I'm really thinking about selling my business, um, but I don't really know who would be interested in buying it, or, or maybe they do know who the buyer would be. Um, and they want to keep it private, of course. They don't want their employees to know because they aren't, they're just researching it. How does that work? Right. So, you know, it's funny because whenever uh, someone comes to us and say, I think I know who the best buyer is, it's amazing that nine times out of 10, generally, that's not the best buyer. And uh, sometimes it is, but generally it's not. And so there's a couple different ways we can do it. And, you know, the process is always confidential. We go to great lengths to keep it confidential. Um, but you can run a very um, modified process where uh, someone like myself would go out to a handful of targets, a handful of buyers, maybe 10 or 20 or 30. Um, or you can go a broad process and a broad process, depending on the kind of business you are, uh, we could reach out to, you know, seven to 800 buyers all across the country, all across really internationally, depending on your business. So, you know, once you get a, a broad marketing like that, um, you find buyers in the most unique places and, uh, you know, Every buyer has a little different um, outlook, and that's really where you're guaranteed you're getting your best price. And so when you talk about sending out to um, all of those different um, people, I mean, are you, you have questionnaires, you're, you're really explaining the type of buyer you're looking for, which really doesn't put the burden on the seller then. It's, it's really what you're doing, and you're trying to get that best price. Right, right. So we're taking the burden off the seller. We uh, certainly will gather information and we put together marketing uh, documents. And initially we go off blindly. So we're not telling um, 800 different buyers that company XYZ is for sale. What we're saying is, you know, we've got this really wonderful metal, fabrication, metal fabrication plant that's in the Midwest. And revenues are 20 million and EBITDA is 3 million whatever it is, but they don't know. They, they read this teaser. They don't know who you are. They don't know where you're located. Um, we give enough details to make it interesting. If a buyer finds that it's interesting, then they sign um, a legal document, a non-disclosure document that says, you know, we will disclose the name of this company to you and give you information, but you're bound to, um, you know, not reveal it, not share it and keep it very confidential. Um, and then they'll get a book of marketing materials, about 50 pages that tell them everything they need to know about the business in order to price it. You know, and we've just got about a minute or so left. And uh, I think about this whole COVID and it was such 
it, it was such a shock to all of us. And we really didn't know how to manage businesses. We didn't know how to manage our personal lives. We've got our employees, um, friends. It, it was really a, a, difficult, a difficult time for most people. And we've heard about all the deaths and many of those I'm certain could have been business owners. And they could have been, um, had a wife that, you know, didn't know anything about the business and ultimately children. And so doing this planning and sitting down, I think, even if you're not really thinking about selling right now, but having an idea, some type of a succession plan in place that if something happens, it's just like when we do estate planning, it's like, if you died tomorrow, what would you want to happen? The same is true of a business really people thinking about it. If I had died in COVID, or if I had become in a situation where I couldn't work for a very long time, what would that look like? And, and doing that planning. I think that that is a really big takeaway from today is that um, we just don't know. And as you said, we won't know for 10 years what the impact has been, but each and every one of us has the responsibility for our own little world and making sure that we've taken care of that the best we can. My guest today is Ann Hanna, and she is the founder and managing director for the Toro Group. As I said, right here, downtown Milwaukee, her phone number is 414-465-5537. And Ann, thank you so much again for being a guest. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. And remember, before we do anything, we always listen because the most important thing that we can bring to the table is planning for you the way it's right for you and doing a really good job. So have a great weekend and thank you very much. Bye-bye.